You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrated purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. In the lead up to the end of the financial year, many members may be looking to claim a tax deduction for their personal contribution. However, traps abound in this area and advisors need to proceed with caution to make sure their client doesn't lose a valuable deduction. I'm Craig Day, your host, and joining me to discuss the thorny or complex issue of uh, personal deductible contributions and deduction notices is Linda Bruce. Hey, Linda. Hey, Craig. How are you? Very well yourself? Yeah, good. Thanks. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so we're going to be talking personal deductible contributions and deduction notices. So let's start with the basics. Who's actually eligible to claim a tax deduction for their personal contributions? Because there was a whole bunch of rules pre-1 July 2017, but they changed, didn't they? So we've got actually a much simplified list of people here. Oh, thank goodness. Yes, the 10% of the test, that horrible test, that was gone. So from 1st July 2017, um, pretty much anyone who's eligible to make a personal contribution to super, they may be able to claim a deduction for the contribution that they made. But let's go to the specifics. So there is a difference between people who are adults, meaning they're over age 18, and of of course, different rules apply to people who are under age 18. So for people who are over age 18, as long as they're eligible to make a contribution and has enough taxable income, they can claim a deduction for personal Mm -hmm. contributions they made to super. Now, for people under age 18, it's not quite simple. They needed to have income from personal exertion, meaning they needed to have business income or employment income to be able to claim a deduction for super contributions made. Right, okay. And you mentioned there um, that you need to have sufficient taxable income. So there's a rule there that says you can only claim up to the point where it reduces your income to zero, but you can't go beyond that. So you can't create a tax loss by claiming tax deductions uh, for personal contributions. That's right, isn't it? That's absolutely right. Very different to negative gearing as an example. For personal deductible contributions, um, the level you can reduce your taxable income to is zero dollar. You cannot create a tax loss. Absolutely correct. But but in many cases, we wouldn't really want to go that low, would we? Because we actually probably only want to claim up to our effective tax free threshold. Yeah. Because if I start claiming more than that, then that income I'm claiming a tax deduction on would normally be subject to zero tax. But once it goes into the fund, it's going to be subject to contributions tax of 15%. So 
even though you've got this rule there that says you can't create a tax loss, um, practically you don't really want to go below the effective tax free threshold anyway. That's correct. Uh, for the uh, tax resident, that the magic number is somewhere around the twenty three thousand dollars. That's to take into the low income tax offset, the low income and the middle income tax offsetting into consideration. But of course, different story for uh, non-resident, but absolutely correct for tax residents. You really don't want to take the taxable income down below around $23,000. Right. Okay. So moving on. So, okay, we know we can claim a tax deduction for contribution. Um, question is, when does that contribution need to be made? Well, it needs to be made in the financial year that you want to claim the deduction, right? So the contribution will need to be made on, on or before 30th June of that financial year. Right. I mean, the, the reason why I kind of laugh on this one is because I've been around at CFS for 20-odd years and uh, I can remember in those early days or even not to, you know, not so dissimilar to the recent past couple of years, uh, is that, you know, we used to have people staying back in the office um, and manning reception. So people were working, walking checks into into the business at, you know, 8 o'clock at night. So uh, so you've just got to get that contribution in by the 30th of June. So obviously, you know, that sounds simple, but when is actually a contribution deemed to be made? It sounds simple, but nothing's quite as simple, right? As usual, mm. it really comes down to how the contribution is made. The, actually, the ATO uh, has made it quite clear in the tax ruling 2010-1, if you want to get into the nitty-gritty details, it says if you are making the contribution by electronic funds transfers, uh, which covers about the majority of the scenario, then your contribution is not made until the moment your super fund bank account actually received that contribution, received that amount. So it has to be really, really careful. It's not the time that when the client made the electronic funds transfer, it might take a few days, a couple of days for, for your super fund to receive the, the amount. Um, and if you're making the contribution, do the transfer on 30th June, uh, there's a likelihood, there's a chance that the, the, the amount is not going to be credited to your bank account, the super fund bank account until the next financial year, then potentially we could be dealing with a quite a complicated scenario. Yeah, so I, I, I've dealt with a number of these issues over the year where, you know, the member goes and processes an electronic transfer to us on the 30th of June, um, but the money actually doesn't show up in our account until the 1st of July, and then they get a little bit upset that they can't claim a tax deduction uh, in the relevant year because you didn't make a contribution in the relevant year. Um, and it's all to do with that 24-hour settlement of those electronic transfers. And if it does come in the, in the following 24 hours, so in the next day, that's the contribution made in the next financial year. And unfortunately, you get to claim a tax deduction for that contribution next year, but not this year. So that, that's a trap. What about personal checks? That's quite different. Um, so long the check is presented and is honoured, actually the ATO said 
it's the moment the fund was the the check of uh, of the prom promissory note. Am I right? Correct. There's something to do with the promissory note. Promissory notes are very much treated like personal checks. Yeah. They kind of give me heartburn. There's something that um, lots of SMSF commentators sort of talk about that you can make a contribution to yourself via promissory notes, but they do come with some traps and issues around promissory notes. But if we just look at a but plain bog standard old personal check. Yeah. It's generally yeah, it's generally when the check is received or well, when the check is received by the fund. Yeah. Um, so long as that that check is then presented and honoured within a reasonable, you know, as soon as possible, essentially, isn't it? That's right. As long as the presented promptly and is honoured, then the moment the check is presented to the fund, the contribution is regarded to be received. So going back to that story I was telling, so people were walking into our office at 30 at night, going to reception and handing over a check. Yeah. Well, that you know, we don't have to bank the check and have the money in our account for the contribution to be made in that situation. We're in possession of the check, so therefore the contribution is made at the time you pass it over. That's right. Um, money orders and bank checks. Now, I've never actually seen a contribution made via a money order, but the, the tax ruling talks about it, so the people must do it. Same thing with bank checks, really, isn't it? Yes, it's same rules. Um, as long as the trustee of the of the founder receives the check, receives the money order, yeah, as long as it's not dishonored, the contribution and, is made. And the contribution is made when we take possession of the check. All right. Now, what are the other requirements here? Because it's it's not just as simple as that, is there? Is it? It's not. <laughs> It's the notice of intent, and we heard these kind of questions pretty much on a daily basis. Uh, it, this will get very, very interesting, Craig. Okay. So we've got to provide a valid notice to the trustee telling the trustee that you want to claim a tax deduction. Like, what is a valid notice? Do we have? To, is there an official form here, or can I just simply write a letter? What are the rules? Yeah, there are multiple options. Um, the ATO has a form. Um, it's the NET 71121. It's um, named um, as the Notice of Intent to Claim All Various Deduction for Personal Contributions form. So that form can be used and submitted to any super fund. Or if the fund has their own branded form, which is very, very similar to the ATO form, that it can be used. Or, as you mentioned, Craig, if the member wants to write a letter to the founder, that's fine. But they have to include all the information required, such as their name, date of birth, the name of the founder, the member account number, etc., uh, etc. Et so just to be safe, uh, it would be a lot easier just to use the ATO authorized form. Right, terrific. Um, and so I think there's some time limits here for that notice to be provided. So can you run through those? Yeah, um, the form will need to be lodged by the earlier of the two date. So it needs to be lodged before the member, before the client lodges the tax return. Or if the client doesn't lodge the tax return at all in the next couple of years, then the notice of intent must be submitted to the fund by the end of the following financial year. So that's the time frame we're dealing with. And so those those time frames came in. I think they came in when back in one July two thousand and seven. Because I recall that it used to be that there was no time limit for actually lodging your deduction notices. And I think um, lots of super fund trustees got a bit annoyed with that because people were coming in several years later 
um, and handing over a deduction notice, which meant that the the trustee then go and had to go and amend a return for for previous years because that meant that that contribution was now included in its accessible income. So I think that uh, that time limit may have been input to to make things easier for large super funds because that was very difficult to administer from from recollection. Um, also, what is it about? There's something about acknowledgement, isn't there? Yes, it's required by the law. Uh, the super fund must acknowledge the uh, notice of intent. Uh, they must write it to the member uh, and let them know uh, whether the notice of intent uh, that they lodged is valid. Uh, so for large fund, um, well, they have to do uh, by the rules. Usually the member will receive a acknowledgement letter um, pretty much straight away or as soon as possible, but it can be a trap for self-managed super fund if the trustee of the fund are not aware of this requirement. Okay. So if we if we then look at, and and as you said, you know, we get a lot of questions around invalid notices. So someone's made their contribution, they've lodged their uh, their notice with the trustee and the trustee turns around and says, sorry, this is invalid. All the ATO may turn around and say, sorry, that, sorry, that notice was invalid. So obviously we've got to get that notice into the fund by those timeframes. Yep. So if I'm going to be lodging, be a, a good person and lodge my tax return when it's due, I have to lodge that notice with the, the trustee of the fund before I actually, or before the day I lodge my tax return. Um what other circumstances could actually result in my notice becoming invalid other than just, you know, being tardy and trying to lodge a notice after those key deadlines? Yeah, um, can be a situation uh, where the fund did not receive the contribution before the 30th June, as mentioned earlier, or the contribution is made to a different fund um, but the client wants to claim from uh, from this fund who never ever received the contribution. Um, and could it be the scenario where the amount has already been covered by the previous notice of intent? And logically, the law just would not allow the, uh, allow the individual to claim uh, an amount for uh, deduction for the same amount specified by a previous notice. So those are quite simple and understandable, but the traps are um, if there's any rollovers, if there's any withdrawals, and if there's any commencement of the pension, um, pretty much that can invalidate uh, the notice of intent subsequently lodged with the fund. Right. Okay. So... Let me run some examples past you. So let's just say we've got a member with a balance of $500,000 yeah. and they made a $25,000 personal deductible contribution on the 1st of May but does not provide their notice at that time, okay? So as they don't know what their assessable income is going to be, so they don't know how much of that they want to claim as a tax deduction. So after receiving advice about their super, the member then followed that advice and actually, let's say, roll over 100% of their benefit from the fund that had the 500 or now $525,000, rolled over the full amount to fund B on the 1st of September. Then two days before the member was due to lodge their tax return, the member then notified that fund B 
that it wished to claim a tax deduction for the full amount of the contribution. So if I summarise all of that, <laughs> I've made a contribution to one fund, I've then decided to roll over to a different fund, and then just before I'm about to claim my tax deduction, uh, or sorry, lodge my tax return, I give that second fund the notice. Now, will that notice or will that contribution be deductible? Unfortunately, no, because um, the second fund received a rollover rather than a contribution, and a rollover is not tax deductible. Right. Okay. So then if I'm the advisor in this situation, my logical next question is, well, then can I provide a notice to fund A in this situation? The answer is no, because fund A is no longer holding the contribution. So that's specifically excluded uh, being able to be uh, in, uh, claimed as a um, um, uh, an amount included in a valid notice of intent. Right. So I can't, what, can I roll $25,000 back from fund A to fund B? Um, yes, you can roll over. However, you, you're not going to fix the problem because the fund A would receive a rollover rather than a contribution and rollover is not tax deductible. Right. So, so you're saying that fund A no longer has the contribution because it rolled it to fund B. And when I try and put that contribution back, by rolling it back, all it has is a rollover and not a contribution. Yes. <laughs> kind right. of crazy. All right. So the next question you always get from an advisor in this this conundrum is, so how can I fix it? You can't fix it in this scenario because yeah, um, you cannot. Yeah, you cannot fix it. The, the number of conversations I've had um, where an advisor is is trying to you know get the right outcome for the client, and you simply just have to sit there and say, sorry, this can't be fixed. What you're asking would be a result in a breach of the the tax law. Um, and simply a notice, unfortunately, should have been provided prior to the rollover and the fact that it wasn't means you've now got a non-deductible contribution um, and the client will miss out on that deduction in their tax return. So kind of nasty. Now, what about if I only roll over part of my balance, right? So it's not uncommon for people to make most of their contributions to one fund but they may have insurance sitting inside superannuation, but in a separate fund, and maybe an insurance-only superannuation fund. And so what if I decided to, let's say, roll over part of my balance each year to actually fund that insurance in that other fund, but in the meantime, I've made a contribution, but I haven't yet lodged my notice, what happens in that situation? Yeah, the rule says um, you can no longer claim a large notice of intent or valid notice of intent if the fund no longer hold the contribution. So the question here is if you have done a partial rollover or partial uh, withdrawal, whether the trustee still hold um, part, part of the contribution, if not all of the contribution. The, actually, the ATO says yeah, in the event of a partial rollover, um, the trustee may still hold part of the contribution and you may still able to claim a part of the contribution as a deduction, but maybe not all of the contribution. But how can we determine what amount can be claimed as a deduction? The ATO actually provided a formula. It depends 
um, um, so we're all familiar with the proportioning rules, right? So out of the partial withdrawal or partial rollover, Craig, in the situation you described, rollover, partially rollover the uh, member balance uh, to pay for insurance premium. So part of that rollover represents the tax-free component. So the ATO says, because part of the tax-free component is gone and out of the remaining interest, we needed to determine uh, which portion is relating to the newly contributed amount. So it depends, it all determined by the tax-free component um, pre the partial withdrawal or rollover. Um, so if you're interested, you can go to the ATO and have a look at the uh, formula and it can get even more complicated uh, where uh, multiple partial withdrawal or partial rollovers occurred in the financial year. Right. So can you, can you, can you provide a simple example of how that may work? So, yeah, um, yeah. Certainly. Yeah, let's just keep things really, really, really simple and hopefully our listeners can follow. Let's just say we have a client and his name is Phil. And Phil has super interest valued at $50,000, no tax-free component, 100% taxable component um, uh, for the time being. And then Phil uh, makes $25,000 personal contribution, uh, hoping to claim a deduction. Uh, for the whole entire $25,000. So when the founder received the $25,000 personal contribution, initially this $25,000 will go to the tax-free component. Um, so if we just do a quick calculation, so that represents 33% of the tax-free component. Now, um, Phil, just remember, uh, the insurance premium uh, is due, or oh, uh, whether he's remembered or the founder just did an auto rollover because Phil provided the authority to do so. So what happened was $10,000 out of the $75,000 is rolled to a different fund. If we just quick, uh, do a quick uh, 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 calculation, 33% of the $10,000 is rolled over and that represents the tax-free component so that means $3,300 of the tax-free component were rolled out from the current mm -hmm. fund. Now, mm -hmm. what's the remaining balance? That's tax-free component that's relating to uh, the newly contributed $25,000. In this particular simple, very, very sim simple scenario, the fund has no other tax-free component. So all of the remaining tax-free interest would be relating to the contribution. So in this very simple scenario, 21,700 is the answer. So that's the differences of the contributed amount, $25,000, and the deemed tax-free rollover amount of $3,300. So Phil, in this case, can put down 21,700 rather than $25,000 in a notice of intent, and then a notice of intent can still be valid. So, so if I follow that very, very simply, yep. what we're essentially saying there, because we rolled out that $10,000 and because one third of that was tax-free component, we're only left with $21,700 of that $25,000 uh, contribution we made, which initially went towards the tax-free component. So essentially, that's all we can claim as a deduction, what's left after we've rolled out that $3,300, which was included 
in the $10,000 rollover. So obviously the balance of that being taxable component. So therefore we're left only with 21,700 still sitting in the fund after we take into account that 3,300. So therefore that's all we can claim as a deduction. Yeah, that's right. All right, terrific. Now, um, I remember there you were saying before that one of the issues that can cause the fund, oh, sorry, not cause the fund, cause a notice to become invalid is if we actually used um, some or all of that contribution to commence a income stream. So what happens then? Yeah, so uh, opposite to partial rollover uh, and partial withdrawal, where part of the contributed amount may still be specified in a valid notice of intent, the rules are a lot harsher where the client has already commenced an income stream uh, that includes transition to retirement income stream. So the moment the client has commenced a income stream, unfortunately, unfortunately either ways, uh, all of the contribution or part of the contribution, unfortunately, none of the contributed amount can be claimed as a deduction. So, I mean, this is an extreme example, but if I used $1 yeah, pence you're the out. income stream, yeah. then I'm out. I, I don't get a proportional deduction. I simply get no deduction whatsoever. Absolutely. If I want to avoid these traps yeah. of, you know, providing a, a deduction notice after I've partially rolled out or fully rolled out or after I've, um, I've commenced an income stream, could I not just provide a notice at the same time as I make my contribution? Got it, got it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, once the notice of intent is lodged, that would be a, a valid notice of intent because you're doing it within the uh, required time frame. There's no withdrawal rollover. There's no commencement of pension. However, however, please don't forget and the client needs to have sufficient taxable income to be able to claim the deduction. Once confirmed, the client does have sufficient taxable income. Yeah, as rule of thumb, the notice of intent should be lodged ASAP um, before anything happens. Okay, so in that situation, that that sounds great, right? But what if it turns out? So the reason why members don't typically give the trustee a notice at the time they make the contribution is simply because they don't know what level of assessable income they're going to have until they've gone and seen the accountant. The accountant gives them an indication that, yeah, yeah, you've got lots of income this year, you can claim the full amount. Or actually, you haven't had such a good year, your income's down, maybe only claim, let's say, 15000 of that $25,000 contribution as a deduction, right? Yep. So in that kind of situation... How do I, can I go in and just revoke the notice and make a new notice? How does that work? You can't uh, really revoke a valid notice of intent, um, but rather than revoking it, uh, what the client can do is to lodge a variation to the valid notice of intent. And now the amount originally specified in the notice of intent can be varied down, including down to zero. Right. Okay. So I don't revoke and make a new one. I simply vary the one I've already made. That's right. Either down in that in that example I just gave down to fifteen thousand dollars. Or if I don't want to claim any of it as a deduction, I vary it down to zero. Right. Okay. So 
So are there time limits to vary these deduction notices? Uh, yes, there are. Uh, it's um, uh, by the earlier of uh, the client lodged the tax return. And if the client doesn't lodge the tax return in the next year or so, then the variation notice needed to be lodged uh, with the fund uh, before the end of the following financial year. Uh, but there's one exception to the rule. Uh, that is, um, if the ATO disallows the deduction, um, then uh, the specific time frame is not required. And the client can still go back to the fund and ask the fund to uh, vary the deduction amount down to a lower amount that can be allowed by the ATO. However, um, it's not possible to vary if the client is no longer a member of the fund that received the original contribution uh, that they received the original contribution uh, and uh, and um, uh, acknowledge the, the valid notice of the intent. And also, it's not possible uh, if the fund no longer holds the contribution. And the last one, uh, again, the trap, if the client has commenced the pension, even with uh, $1, that is not possible to vary the originally uh, valid notice of intent. So let me, let me give you an example there. So I think it, as you talked before, let's say um, the client's made a $25,000 contribution claim and wants to or did claim a, a tax deduction for it. Um, but then when they go and do their tax return in the year, they end up with only $10,000 worth of assessable income. So the ATA is actually going to deny the extra $15,000 over and above that, right? So they'll deny it. So what this is saying is that you can come back and vary your deduction notice down in that situation down to $10,000. For me, although, and following on from what you then said, but you can't vary where, what if my client has commenced an income stream between making the contribution, lodging the notice, and then three months later, the ATO coming back and saying, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, we're denying the deduction. What if during that period of time I've commenced an income stream? Yeah, that's the trap. Um, in that situation, the client is not able to ask the fund to vary the amount that they want to claim as a deduction uh, from the original $25,000 uh, to the $10,000 allowed by the ATO. It's just simply not possible. So what, what would be the consequences of that? Yeah, so the 15% tax, contribution tax, would have already been paid for the additional $15,000. Unfortunately, there's no refund. So that 85% of that additional $15,000 disallowed by the ATO uh, would have already been recorded as a taxable component. Unfortunately, uh, it's not possible to change to the tax-free component. And uh, the disallowed amount, because um, it's not possible to claim as a deduction, the ATO will allocate that additional $15,000 towards the client's non-concessional contribution cap so this could potentially result in breaching uh, the client's non-concessional cap or inadvertently trigger the bring forward NCC cap uh, where the advisor or client had no intention to do, to do so. Wow, that, that's really quite nasty, isn't it? Yeah, really, yeah. When, I, when I think about it, I mean, I, I'm not getting a deduction and yet it's, it's being taxed at 15% and it's being treated as, as a taxable component. 
Yep. <laughs> and it can potentially cause me non-concessional contribution cap problems. Yeah, really nasty. Yeah. All right. Um, so we've dealt with varying deduction notices down. What if I want to increase the amount that can be claimed? Can I vary a notice up? No, you cannot. You can only vary a notice up downwards. You cannot vary a notice upwards. However, uh, what you can do uh, is to lodge a completely separate notice of intent uh, for the amount, for the additional amount you want to claim as a deduction. So in that situation, so if we if we do the reverse there, I've, I've made a $25,000 contribution. I thought I was only going to have $10,000 worth of income I wanted to offset, but in fact, I've earned a lot more. So I don't just vary that $10,000 deduction notice up to twenty-five. I actually make an, I provide the trustee another notice yeah. in relation to that other $15,000 that I now want to claim as a tax deduction as well. That's correct. Yes. All right. Okay. All right. Well, I think we've covered most things. Is there anything else I need to know? Yeah. So the personal uh, personal deductible contributions and the notice of intent is very often linked with client tax deductible income, as we all know, and the client's concessional contribution cap. So just a reminder, uh, don't forget to check whether client is able to use uh, the unused concessional contributions from previous financial years since 1st July 2018. Uh, if the client's total super balance was less than $500,000 at the prior 30th mm -hmm. June, so client mm -hmm. may be able to claim a higher amount amount as a deduction, um, just, just, just double check. And also uh, self-managed super funds specific uh, for self-managed super funds, um, the clients uh, or members in the fund, they may be able to use the contribution reserve strategy where they may be able to make additional contribution um, in June of the current financial year and a claim a deduction for that contribution where the fund may be able to allocate that contribution in the following financial year. Um, Craig, you, has a, you have an article on this, right? <laughs> yes, I do. So if you want to know more about that, you can go and see the, the other article in this edition of Strategic Update that we're publishing during April, and that is titled Contribution Cap Increases and the SMSF Contribution Reserving Strategies, or you can go and listen to the other podcast this month is on that topic. Yay. Terrific. All right. I think that covers everything. Thanks for your time, Linda. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please remember these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.